0: Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents a Baha'i perspective on life through interviews. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's b-a-h-a-i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today I'm playing an interview with Janine Sacco, co-administrator for the Greenacre Baha'i Conference Center in Elliott, Maine. She met her husband at UMass during graduate school while both were getting postgraduate degrees in education. Soon after they married and had two small children, they decided to pack up and go to South America. In Brazil, they ultimately started an international school called School of the Nations. I started the interview by asking Janine where she grew up and what was it like growing up there.
1: I grew up all over the place. Oh, That's really? not really an easy question. Oh, okay. Um I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, and I spent maybe the first four years of my life there, mm. but my father was in the Air Force, so we were uh, transferred to different places, um... Ardmore, Oklahoma was one place where we spent some time. I actually spent four years of my early childhood in Germany, Frankfurt on uh, mine. I remember that. I was um, about the age four till seven. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember uh, particularly, I remember making my first communion there because I come from a Catholic background and my family, very active Catholic family. And so that was a big moment of my childhood. Um, and then, uh later on, we lived in France le France, which is near paris and uh, so long, yeah. oh, that was a couple of years mm-hmm. and then, really, most of my childhood was in Minneapolis. I went back and uh, I went to a Catholic grade school, I went to a Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the University of Minnesota.
0: Mm-hmm. And what did you study at the University of Minnesota?
1: Mostly languages. I really, you know, humanities and languages. And uh, I majored in French with a minor in English and mm-hmm. Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And you had learned German when you were in Germany and French when you were in France, by any chance?
1: Yeah, well, that's... Uh, I wish that I had learned German in Germany. Mm. Um Unfortunately, I went to an American school and nobody in my family was really German. When I went to France, however, my mother is French, and mm. so she—I went to a French school, mm. and I—I I really picked up a lot of French. Mm. So I did learn how to speak French.
0: And it was military reasons why you went to France.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. there's an Air Force base nearby mm-hmm. there, so mm. yeah, that's why we lived there.
0: Okay, and so you said you studied French at the University of
1: of Minnesota. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yep. And then uh, what happened after?
1: Well, I had just graduated, uh, actually, in 1968, and I had uh, graduated rather early, I guess. I I was 20 years old, and I had done it so fast. I'd done it in three years, you know, and Mm. just kind of rushed through the courses, Mm. and At the end of all that, I sort of thought, well, now what am I going to do? I'm 20 years old, yeah. (laughs) I'm 20 years old, and I've graduated, and (laughs) now what do I do with it, you know? So I was still living at home, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was about that time that I had my first contact with the Baha'i faith, Mm -hmm. because uh, my girlfriend, who also had gone to Catholic high school with me, kept on talking about these strange-sounding people. They seemed strange to me. Um, at that time, I guess the group was into things like the lost continent of Mu and palm reading and astrology. So, you know, I was thinking, oh boy, you know, she is in with a really wacky group. I better go and protect her.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So, uh, one uh, one day, she said, "Well, you know, would you like to come to a meeting?" And I thought, "Okay, I'm going to just tell them what it's all about. I'm going to bring my Bible, you know, and they're going to be sorry they ever <laughs> interested my friend here in this in this crazy faith."
0: So like imaginings of. This is some wild and. Inc- yes, I thought it was some
1: group. way out sect. Yeah, I thought Just you know, was. By the name of it. The name sounded strange. I hadn't ever heard of it before. Mm-hmm. And I was a very active Catholic. You know, mm-hmm. I was, you know, in all the kinds of youth groups that you can imagine, you know, contemplating possibly becoming a nun someday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was very much into it. And I have a very, to this day, a very active catholic family Mm -hmm. so um the only thing that was unusual about me as a catholic was probably that i really stayed close to my bible Mm -hmm. i really felt the power of the word of god in the bible and Mm -hmm. so i did bring it with me you know thinking that i would find something that would disprove whatever it was they were going to tell me that evening (laughs) so um so i did i went to that first fireside um, That's
0: what they called the meeting.
1: Yes, it was a it was a meeting, uh, an, an informal meeting at the home of one of the Baha'is in the area in, in South Minneapolis, and um, there were really uh, it was sort of an amazing group of people. That was the first thing that struck me.
2: Oh, really?
1: Because of their diversity, mm. uh, there was uh, a uh, middle aged gentleman from Scotland who was married to. Uh, a Scottish lady, there was an American divorcee with her two children. There were youth from you know nearby states. You know there were all ages, all types the The lady who gave the fireside uh, was an african American lady and um, so you know, I was impressed by the diversity of the people that were gathered there mm-hmm. and who seemed to be really having a good time together. <laughs> mm.
0: So even though you sort of had your, you were very skeptical yes. going in, yes. you still were open enough to be impressed with the diversity. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I as I look back on it, I think that um, I was... I've always really been a sort of a seeker after truth. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I had the truth and I was going to bring the truth to them. But, uh, you know, it was like God turning it around on me and saying, Mm. you know, Janine, there's a little bit more truth out there Mm. (laughs) than you know about. And uh, thank God I was open enough to, to listen to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The the subject that she spoke of was progressive revelation mm-hmm. and the idea that you know God has progressively revealed his truth over the centuries, over periods of time, mm-hmm. to various religions. Mm-hmm. And that really, for that reason, no one religion had all the truth. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that just made so much sense to me. Even even as a Catholic, where you're brought up, or you were brought up at that time, to think that really it, the Catholic Church had the truth, and those poor other people really didn't, and, you know, were sort of lost. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, that made so much more sense to me. I thought, gee, why hadn't I ever thought of that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Anyway.
0: That was your first exposure to the Baha'i faith, and that was pretty much it while you were at the University of Minnesota?
1: Well, you know, I had just graduated, so I was no longer at the university. The only contact I had with the university then at that time, in September, after graduating, was uh, to go to the Newman Center. You see, that's the whole thing too, the contrast. You go to the Baha'i meeting, and all these different people of all races, ages, nationalities are there together, really worshiping together and talking about you know the Word of God together, enjoying each other's company. But in my experience as a Catholic, I go into the Newman Center and those were all young people. You know, and really, pretty much white young people, um, and uh, you know, having a great time with our guitars and so on, but very you know, monotonous in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. all one type of, of person. And if I went to my parents' church, the the um, local Catholic church, it would be again mostly all older people mm-hmm. and uh, of one race basically, mm-hmm. and um, so it was just that lack of diversity that I began to see. My eyes had been opened to, aha, there's something really different in this community. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that really impressed me.
0: So, give me a little background on the Newman Center.
1: Well, the Catholic Newman Center, those uh, exist, I believe, on all virtually all campuses, I've university seen. campuses, mm-hmm. and they're like you know you have I suppose uh, the Christian Center and the uh, I don't even having not been on campuses for many years I don't know but it really it's where uh, young people who are affiliated with that church that religion can go for courses or for discussions uh, for worship services it just kind of gives young Catholics a place to hang out together and enjoy each other's company and Mm -hmm. learn a little bit more about their faith Mm -hmm. it's a very nice place very Mm -hmm. friendly uh, you know place where you can meet nice people Mm -hmm. of your own religion Mm -hmm. usually Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and you left the Bahai meeting having a different point of view about the Bahai faith.
1: I did. I was, uh, you know, I thought, well, gee, I didn't quote any scripture at them. That was uh, <laughs> that wasn't what I had intended. Um, but I went home and um, I actually began to share some of these things with my family, my very Catholic family. And I said, uh, you know, the, the Baha'is believe this about, you know, and they, they believe that, you know, God has revealed himself here and there. And I kept on going on and on about some of these things that I had learned. And, um,. And I actually was so intrigued by it, I began to go to other firesides. So I didn't go to just that fireside. There was another one midweek. So I went over to that one and we talked about another topic and another one. And so like in a matter of just weeks, I would go several times a week and I'd find out things. And I'd bring that home to my family and I'd say, You know, they believe in this and it's really interesting how what they believe about this and about that. And it was really my father who said, You know, you're starting to sound like one of those Baha'is And I thought, Boy, he's right. <laughs> I am starting to sound like one of them. And it, it was really that that I think sowed the seed in my mind that, gosh, you know, to question. My affiliation as a Catholic, even though I had been very active up to that point. Mm. And I could have gone on and on just, you know, not knowing. You know, I, I wasn't reading that much. I read a little bit of Baha'u'llah in the New Era, but it was mostly these conversations, these contacts, uh, these discussions, these fireside discussions at different mm. people's homes mm. that really touched my heart. Um, and then one day, I, I, you know, Catholics have these beautiful little. Artistic holy cards that you keep in your Bible or in your missal or whatever to mark the page, and they often have a, a some a, a catchy phrase about God or a quote from Scripture, and that particular holy card said, "Not to decide is to decide," and I thought, "Wow." Hmm. <laughs> is, God, yeah, is God? Yes, God tried to tell me something. <laughs> so I figured that even though I didn't know very much about the faith, I really—it was only a month after I had found out about it at all—that um, I seemed to be more identified with the teachings of the Baha'i Faith than I was with those traditional teachings that you know I'd grown up with.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned a book, the Baha'u'llah, Baha'u'llah in the New Era. Yes, uh, yes. What kind of book was that?
1: It's a a book that really describes. It's one of the oldest books about the, the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure when it was written, but I believe the early 1900s mm-hmm. by a Scottish Baha'i named John Eslamont. Mm-hmm. And it describes just any aspect. It's a very useful book because you know if you wanted to know what they thought about the afterlife, you just look it up, and it had a little section about that. Mm -hmm. or about prayer, or about the history of the faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has a very nice uh, coming together of, you know, what is the Baha'i faith about, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: So this card that said that you were carrying around saying to to decide...
1: Not to decide, decide is is to decide. (laughs) Okay,
0: so what did you take that to mean then?
1: Yeah, I, I just took that to mean that... You know, my preference, my comfort zone would have been not to do anything about it, but just sort of listen to what these nice people were saying and, you know, and and just leave it at that and not change my affiliation, you know. Um, but I decided that really, to, if I didn't decide to become a Baha'i, I was in a sense saying, well, that's not right. That's not true. And uh, for everything I that I had seen, it was so much truer than anything that really I had ever believed. It was the essence of Christianity. These were people that, to me, were showing the love that Christ talked about. And um, this was confirmed actually by a priest. I was actually confirmed in my decision by a priest. Interesting. And not because he was agreeing with me, but my dad, who was a military man, took me. He said he got very angry when I said, "You know, I've, you know, I've decided that That I I want to become a Baha'i. I I, I really feel that I believe in this and I have to become a Baha'i. My dad was so absolutely frightened and scared to death that I was going to lose my soul and go to hell and, you know, that he being the sincere Christian that he was and the sincere Catholic said well i'm going to take you to the priest and you you know he'll he'll convince you that this is not the right thing so i thought well you know if it's the truth it's all right because you know he, if, and and if he can show me something that really indicates that this is not true then i want to know that too because it really is truth that i'm after it's not being a bahai or being a catholic i want the truth you know i'm a seeker of truth mm-hmm. so he took me to this military priest cuz my dad's a military man And, uh, this, this, uh, was a, he's a very articulate, strong, you know, uh, speaker and, um, Used to giving sermons to soldiers, you know, and (laughs) telling them what for. Yeah, Uh, picture. (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm this sweet young thing, you know, (laughs) twenty years old, right? (laughs) Twenty years old, and you know, I've never said Buddha anybody practically. (laughs) So he took me to this uh, gentleman, and um, I brought my Bible again because again I thought, well, if he can show me from the Bible something that. Would indicate that why I really should not believe in Baha'u'llah and become a Baha'i, then, you know, I really, I haven't studied it very long. I've only known it for a month. You know, I will. Certainly, there's a possibility that I might not really stay a Baha'i. Mm-hmm. But he uh, he looked, at, you know, when my father explained to him what the situation was and that I had become a Baha'i, he got so angry and so red in the face and began to yell and shout. I really don't even remember what he said, but it was the way that he said it, and the whole lack of wanting to even go to the scripture to to teach me to educate me, but just being angry that i'd I even you know investigated something outside of the faith, and I looked at him, and I thought, you know. I really, he's really convincing me that I'm making the right decision oh my gosh. <laughs> because he got so unloving. And to me, the essence of Christianity was love. And I'd seen all this love manifested in these people of all varieties for the past month, and he was really indicating to me the exact opposite. So he, in a sense, confirmed me in my decision to become Mm. a Baha'i. And my dad didn't bother me after that, really. Oh, interesting. You know, he he just sort of let it, okay, I went there, I talked to him. uh, You know, so that was that.
0: What about your mother?
1: You know, my mother, who is French, and had been brought up, and I think she had been Exposed to a variety of religious beliefs other than Catholicism, I mean she was brought up Catholic, but she had sort of she was familiar with theosophy and um, you know she 'd gone to the sorbonne she 'd gone into philosophy and you know she was a, she had a kind of a broader range of experience, and so she didn 't seem quite as worried as my dad. My dad was so worried he did not want Baha 'i books in the house mm-hmm. don 't you bring those books into this house you know because he really felt that this was you know some kind of devilish literature or something, you know. But my mother was much more open. Mm. Uh, you know, even though she, you know she didn't ask me as many questions about it. My dad was much more, you know, kind of questioning me. But then really after I saw the priest, they they let me bring um, books in. You know, I, I don't really recall being able to bring books in for a while. It was a very quiet being a Baha'i. And I, I didn't always attend because I wasn't always able to do that. Um, out of respect for my parents, you know, I didn't want my faith to cause a division in the family. Right. You know, because that wasn't the whole point of it either, you know. Okay. But the, the uh, interesting thing is that that, this was in September, I became a Baha'i. I found out about the faith. Either the way at the end of August or the beginning of September, I became a Baha'i by the end of September, and Dan Jordan, a member of the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of the United States, came through giving a talk on education. And spiritual education, and a program that he was involved with at the University of Massachusetts and um, the ANISA program. So I went to that talk, became totally enthralled wow, that's what I want to do. I want to become involved in education, like, you know, to teach children to know how to love and to love to know. He spoke of the interaction between these two capacities of knowing and loving. Mm -hmm. So he totally turned me on to education, and I decided to go to graduate school. And that's what brought me, led me for the first time in my life to move away from home to UMass and to study there Mm -hmm. and and, uh, get my degree in education.
0: Mm -hmm. And you were there at UMass for how long?
1: I was there. Let's see. It would have been from 69 through I think it was 71. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible at, at years, mm-hmm. but um just long enough to, you know, to to get my master's degree mm-hmm. and that's where I met my husband. Okay. He was doing graduate work there as well.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. So what happened after you got your graduate degree in education?
1: Well, um we We decided, um, you know, Jim finished his doctorate. It took him a little while longer to to finish his doctorate. I worked as a teacher in a model kindergarten program there. And uh, we moved to get his first job in Maryland, Baltimore County, Maryland. He became a teacher trainer, and I was a a housewife. I got a, a, a job, but then I got pregnant. So, uh, we had both of our children in the maryland d c area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, so for the next few years, that was my life, really being a part of the Baha 'i community of that area mm-hmm. and uh, raising my children mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and then what happened after that
1: mm-hmm. <clears throat> After that, we decided that we you know we really wanted to serve the faith in a more dynamic um active way and the idea of pioneering to another country to help another Baha'i community that needed you know some assistance to fortify mm-hmm. their communities or whatever mm-hmm. uh, that we so would that's we the do it
0: that's sort of the definition of pioneering in the Baha'i faith.
1: Yes, the definition of pioneering is since we don't have missionaries, mm-hmm. uh, people who are paid to actually go and spread the faith,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Baha'is uh, choose to live in areas where they can practice their professions and uh, at the same time help out in communities where they mm-hmm. might live. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. We, uh, we sold everything that we had, and uh, we were ready to go to a job actually in Brazil and uh, as fate would have it, at that time, the, the doors were closing for visas, mm. to work visas to Brazil. Why was that? Um, you know, it just was a common. Political thing? I think it's, yeah, it's a political thing, tit for tat. You know, oh, I the see. United States is, it makes it hard for Brazilians to come here. And mm-hmm. so then the Brazilians make it hard for the Americans to go there. Sure. And so I think it was just, we just happened on that really bad Time, I yeah.
0: See.
1: So we had sold everything. Jim had given up his job. We decided we're going to go somewhere. And, you know, it's either now or never. So, and how old were the kids um, at the
0: time?
1: Our daughter was about one, and our son was about four. So they were very small, but it was a good time to go. We thought this is a really good time. They aren't entrenched in school, they don't have a lot of, you know, school friends that they're going to miss, you know. So, this is really the time. They're, they'll mm. be the most, uh, it'll be easiest for them. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, we worked with the pioneer committee that helps people get settled in different places. And they said, well, there's a need in this country, that country, and so on. Which one do you prefer? And uh, we chose Paraguay. Okay. And so we wound up going to Paraguay. And why
0: did you choose Paraguay from your choices? (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question. I, you know, we didn't know one from the other really at that point. It just
0: eeny meeny miny. Mo. Eeny meeny, <laughs>
1: that's exactly right. You know, why not? <laughs> so uh, there was a great need, and I think that they might have okay. said, you know, that might have been uh, the neediest place. Okay. All right. It was a hard place to, to go because it's a hard place to find a job. Mm. And and we didn't have jobs there originally. In the other in Brazil, we had a university job offered but we couldn't get the visa um. so we went to Paraguay instead mm-hmm. yeah
0: mm-hmm. so what happened in Paraguay
1: well, that was interesting because um, we settled down in, uh, you know, a very small town with a lot of dirt roads, mm-hmm. and it was quite an adaptation, you know, from being, from city life, <laughs> North yeah, American Baltimore, city life. Baltimore
0: and Washington, metropolitan <laughs> exactly, area. Exactly,
1: exactly. Washing diapers by hand, and, you <laughs> know. I mean, this was really a, wow. a new experience, and how to how to live in that mm-hmm. kind of an environment. Mm-hmm. Um and we were living on our savings, so you know we didn't have a lot of savings, so we really were looking actively for jobs. But it was hard to find jobs there. Mm-hmm. Jim actually survived we, we survived for a little, you know in a way, by him teaching English to uh, local people. And one of his first students was the Brazilian consul and his wife. And so he began to teach English to them, and when they found out about our situation, we, we had actually met them in a restaurant. Our kids were at the table and maybe you know walking around a little bit the table, and uh, and they were in the table next door, and they thought, oh, such cute children. I wonder where they're from. You know, little blonde. Children, <laughs> blue-eyed children—they sort of stand out in Paraguay. Um, and so we had made friends with them, and Jim had begun to teach them English. And then when they found out our situation—that we didn't really have jobs—the um, uh, gentleman said, "Well, you know, you really should—you should go to Brazil. You know, if you ever get a chance, you know, we'll help you." And so, sure enough, within a very short period of time, within six months, there was another opportunity to go to Brazil from somebody that we knew there. Um, they wanted to move to the Amazon. It was a Baha'i couple who ran an American school in Porto Alegre. They wanted to go to the Amazon, but they needed substitute teachers and mm. administrators. And so they knew we were looking for a job. And so they said, yeah, you know, you really should come and take our jobs so we can go to the Amazon. So it, it worked out really well because we took those jobs. The consul helped us with our visas, and we not only got temporary visas, we got permanent visas right off the bat which is never you know it's unheard of Mm. so you know there's a wisdom in Mm -hmm. everything yeah
0: (laughs) taking the circuitous route to Brazil rather than the direct route yeah interesting
1: God knows uh, Mm. you know his wisdom is very interesting and his sense of humor yeah
0: (laughs) so tell me about this American school that you were administrators for
1: it was a small American school it was a school uh, it was a large building uh, three stories and The top story was actually a large, very comfortable apartment for the teacher administrator couple and there had been a number of teacher administrator couples at this school over the years who were bahais they happened to be bahais mm. so the the ones that that said they wanted to go to the amazon they were a bahai couple they had taken this over from another bahai couple who had no idea that they were bahais it just happened that oh, really? yeah that the uh, school council had interviewed these people thought they were excellent educators and had hired them not on the basis of you know, religion. religion, and then they found out later they were Bahais. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, not that they were that, all that excited about having three Bahai couples in a row, <laughs> because that seemed a bit much, I think, for them. Um, but it was a lovely place to live, and our kids could go to school there. And uh, even though our daughter was just you know tiny, she was you know one and a half, and mm-hmm. you know going on two. Mm-hmm. But she would come down, and she'd join the kindergartners sometime, and we had, uh, you know, multi-age groupings, and, uh, you know, it was very nice. We Mm -hmm. lived there for a couple of years, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Porto Alegre.
0: What caused you to... To leave there? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Well, that was interesting. It it really came about because uh, an American school is usually they uh, strive to teach the American way. You know, there's a, a part of the daily ritual is the pledge allegiance to the flag. Um, it's very much identified with Christianity more than any other religion. And there was a a group of missionaries, really, whose children went to that school who were beginning to feel very uncomfortable that they kept on getting (laughs) Baha'is, you know, because it didn't seem right to them (laughs) somehow. So um, I think there was a little campaign to, you know, we need to get a good Christian couple here, you know. And um, so we began to look for other alternatives. And Jim had... uh, he had helped a a local uh, non-Baha'i. It was a, it was a lady who was at the university. I think it was the federal university or the Catholic University of Rio Grande do Sul, and uh, he had been one of the people to. Look over her um, thesis, and so she he knew her, and she knew him, and she had recently been been appointed as a consultant to the mayor of a small town in the middle of Brazil, Guayana, and um, she said, you know. If you're looking for a job, I'm sure, you know, this is a new government and they're looking for people to work with uh, the teachers in this area. Why don't you see if, you know, you want to come and work here? So we wound up going to Guayana Mm. and becoming consultants to the mayor of of Guayana Mm -hmm. in education.
0: Mm -hmm. And what was that like?
1: Well, that was interesting. We learned a lot of Portuguese. <laughs> we don't, I mean,
0: that was your first encounter with Portuguese? No. I mean, okay. you know,
1: it was a bilingual school, the American school. Oh, that's
0: right. It was you know, basically, basically English in the yeah, American
1: school, right? It was like an American school, but you're in Brazil. Right. And the Baha'i community, of course, you always speak Portuguese mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so we had had some Portuguese lessons while we were there. So we were getting a little bit better in our okay, Portuguese. But now you're
0: immersed in Portuguese.
1: Now we're really immersed. And we're, you know, this is our professional language. So it was quite a challenge, but we learned an awful lot. And Mm. then our kids began to go to Brazilian schools, so they, you know, were very good, very fluent in Portuguese. Mm. Remain so to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm And so how long were you doing this consulting work?
1: We did this for about two years, as I recall. Um, y- you know, it, when governments change and, you know, people change, then those jobs sort of run out. Those are political appointments, I guess, or whatever. Um, and, but as we were, I guess I, I we have to go back a little bit to that other school. When we took over the, the American school of Porto Alegre, the outgoing couple... And and we sort of overlapped for a while because we, we learned the ropes from them as to how the school operated. And we began to talk, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could start a school mm. someday mm. that would be you know, not so much a school where you'd pledge allegiance to the flag of just one country, United States or whatever, but you'd really be world citizens and there would be appreciation for all you know, nations and all religions, and you know, it'd be a spiritually minded school. Um, wouldn't it wouldn't be great. And so we began to talk about that.
2: Mm.
1: And so um, when we decided that we'd correspond with this couple and see if someday we could do that, you know, maybe ten years in the future. Um, So when we got this appointment in Guayana, they had gone actually to the Amazon, but their contract was running out as well. They got jobs in Brasilia, which is only a couple of hours' drive from Guayana. So now we were within commuting distance to kind of talk to each other about this vision of a future school that we might start together. Mm -hmm. So really that's what led to the next stage of our adventure in South America, which was Mm -hmm. to start a school together. We actually were able to mm-hmm. start a Baha'i-sponsored school, you could say. mm mm-hmm. Yes.
0: So uh, tell me about that.
1: Um, the school uh, was called School of the Nations, and um, it, it was a school that offered a bilingual program in Portuguese and English to elementary-age children. Um, we had... Thought You know, we we didn't know the details of the school. You know, we just had the kind of broad outlines in our minds. Um, But there happened to be a crisis in the American School of Brasilia about that time in which uh, the Brazilian children who went to the American School were really made to feel like they didn't belong. Mm. And the teachers, uh, there was a contingent of teachers that had just come from an American school in Iran that had just closed down so this whole huge group of teachers had come there and they thought oh these Brazilian children they just they're slowing our classes down and they're so hard to teach and you know we really and it really became they felt so unwanted that it got into the newspapers that there was a crisis at the American school so they came to us knowing that we were planning another kind of a school that was based on world citizenship and all these other you know ideals And they said, you have to start this school right now. Well, we had nothing. We were even living still, uh, you know, um, in Guayana. We were living in two different cities. We didn't have a lot of money, you know, just what two families might have, two young families. Um, But I remember a a Brazilian doctor saying, look, uh, here's some money. You know, you start this school. We need this school right now. So we thought, well... Maybe we can. Maybe this is this is an opportunity, a God-given opportunity. So we actually moved in with that couple into their small apartment. And every night, we'd sort of come up with, okay, now what could we do we could do? And then uh, the local English school offered us a... Uh, they had just built some new classrooms. And they said, okay, if temporarily, you can use our classrooms. So they offered us three classrooms in their new English school. Um, And we started the School of the Nations with just a handful of children. It was about Mm. 17 children, including our own. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the beginning. Wow. Yeah.
0: And how did it progress from there?
1: You know, it was really miraculous. It it just was amazing because it really had nothing to do with, I mean, our material means. But it just grew from semester to semester. Um, Because the children were multi-age groupings, the little children particularly had older models that, you know, they saw the second graders, the kindergartners were grouped with the second graders. Well, but it was a small group. And so they acted like a family. They saw these older kids learning how to read, and they were getting excited by it. They began to read. So these rumors kept going out. You know, we kept on hearing rumors. They had the secret, you know, uh, literacy program there. (laughs) (laughs) Because these kindergartners are just reading at a second grade level, you know. Uh, Mm. And uh, it was so funny. It really grew just by word of mouth. We Mm. didn't do any advertising. It was Mm. just total word of mouth. The children feeling so comfortable, so loved, so cared for. Mm -hmm. They were learning both Portuguese and English, even though it was initially only a half a day program, which is typical for Brazil to have a half day uh, elementary program. I see. Um, and so it, it was it just grew in an amazing mm. way. it astounded us, mm. and gradually we added on, of course uh, staff, but it was mm. bilingual a bilingual program from the start mm-hmm. because we wanted the children whoever came to feel comfortable in Brazil and to value the Brazilian culture and the Brazilian language mm. as well as to feel comfortable as world citizens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so using English, you could say as that international language. Mm-hmm
0: the school sort of progressed over the years to yeah. to what point uh,
1: well it it grew uh, until you know my husband is the best one for statistics but like it doubled let's say the first the first semester, and then it doubled again. I mean, it really oh, wow. grew by leaps and bounds. It just overwhelmingly, mm. it astounded us. Mm-hmm. It was really quite miraculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, there was obviously a need for that kind, and to this day, it now has about six hundred and fifty students, and uh, from kindergarten or pre-kindergarten, really, uh, until there's a high school program. There's mm-hmm. very small high school program. So um yeah it it just I think it was the moral education component that really touched the hearts of people of the the you know there there were even people who um missed at the american school there was a wonderful american school a very large american school in that city but it did not really Um, teach values. It didn't teach, you know, moral education. Mm -hmm. We weren't out to teach the Baha'i faith. We were out to teach concepts of love, unity, uh, peace, that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. we we really created the curriculum around those those concepts.
0: So moral education was more about teaching virtues or...
1: It was not just teaching virtues. Virtues was a part of it, absolutely a part of it. But it was, um, for example... We would structure, we would have all school festivals, like uh, United Nations Festival was a really big one. So for that period of time in October, where United Nations Day occurs, October 24th, we would structure a lot of activities around studies of different countries. Each classroom would take a different country, for example, and would learn about the history and the culture and the crafts of that country. And they'd dress up in costumes like of that country they'd learn songs in the language of that country they'd raise funds with their crafts for unicef and we'd have a big culminating festival with all uh, like an open house for parents and and anybody really who wanted to come and participate in this united nations festival and see the the festival of uh, the parade of the nations the children would would parade in their costumes with their countries you know mm. on uh, on themselves and mm-hmm. uh, yeah it was uh, it was like a celebration of the beauty of the diversity of nations, mm. but at the same time the children learned their you know about those nations mm. um, and Another aspect of the moral education curriculum in the older grades, particularly was a study of the effect of religion on society, so like fifth grade would study. Old Testament, the Old Testament, and how that affected Jewish civilization. Um, there was also, in, in sixth grade, they'd study uh, the effect of uh, the New Testament on civilization and the teachings of Christ and so on. We would teach, you know, in Islam and so on, in the Quran. Mm. So the kids learned a little bit about each religion as they were going through, and uh it was interesting how many different religions we had there. Um, there were Muslims, there were even people from countries that did not have a religion from communist countries at that time. Mm. Uh, but they felt that uh, they were respected as human beings, and mm. they identified with the ideals i think you know of mm. cooperation. We taught a lot of about cooperation, cooperative learning. Uh, cooperative games mm-hmm. that was a big mm-hmm. emphasis at the mm-hmm. school.
0: And the school is in is still in existence today.
1: It's still in existence today in Brasilia, the capital city, and as I say it's grown to about 650 students from mm-hmm. 40 different countries. It always had about a representation of about 30 or 40 different countries. Mm. But now there's uh, many more children in it. Yes.
0: And what caused you to leave the school?
1: we decided uh you know we'd been there for 15 years that's a long time <laughs> uh from beginning to you know it's really coming out and growing and uh but my parents uh, began to you know kind of need a little bit more help my dad had some heart problems jim's father passed away so his mother um you know needed more support and mm-hmm. she got alzheimers so we decided it would be good to be closer to our parents
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh we were offered these jobs here just you know by somebody who knew that we were looking for something stateside again
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that's how we came to be at greenacre
0: mm-hmm. And you've been at Greenacre for how long?
1: 11 years now, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. 11 years uh, as of the 14th of October. That's almost, <laughs> yeah. Our anniversary is coming up. <laughs> so,
0: wow. so, yeah, it's almost getting up as long as you had been in the, with the School of the I know.
1: I you know. And it's so hard to leave a place when you've been there that long. Your yeah. heart gets so
0: right. Right.
1: rooted in a sense. A lot of love going on.
0: So between your time in Paraguay and your time in Brazil we're talking about what kind of time span
1: between Paraguay and being, Brazil being
0: being in being in South America
1: yeah uh I guess it was 67, again, years I, you know, I'm the world's worst historian in terms of mm-hmm. what date it was and <laughs> how many years just, ago but
0: Or I, just how many years there
1: um. Oh, we, we were in Paraguay we were only there for six months you mm-hmm. know, Again, we didn't have jobs there mm-hmm. so when the opportunity came to go to Brazil mm-hmm. and get a job, we took it and then in Brazil we were there for 18 years okay.
0: yep. So what does the future hold for you?
1: Ah, very good question. Mm. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think uh, you know we're these are wonderful jobs in the sense that we feel very satisfied in being able to work for the cause of peace and unity of mankind. You know, mm. we meet people from all over the world here at Greenacre, mm. and we work with people of all religions, even it's not just the Baha'is that come here, mm. so it's a very satisfying. Type of work. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we're enjoying while we're here. But I can't mm. say how long it'll <laughs> last. There's no date written on the, you know, <laughs> in any contract <laughs> yeah, that I know of, you know. Yeah. As long as we're needed, I guess, as yeah. long as it works.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much. Well, you're so welcome. Yeah, and the it's best a, of luck to you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Okay. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that interview with Janine Sacco, an educator and co-administrator for the Greenacre Baha'i Conference Center in Elliott, Maine. For a copy of this and other interviews, you're welcome to go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
3: wilderness, the wilderness and, the and the wasteland
4: Shall be glad,
3: shall be glad for, them.
4: for them And the desert, and the desert Shall blossom, blossom As the world Shall blossom,
3: shall blossom abundantly.
4: And rejoice, and rejoice with, with joy, joy and, singing. and singing. Then they shall then see they Prophet Isaiah goes on to say they shall see the light. You'll see them All together up, up the, mountain. the mountain On the king's On highway, king's highway to, Zion. to Zion Just to behold Just
5: The sun mine is the more.
3: The starry crown Good Lord, show me the way Oh, sisters, let's go down Let's go down, come on down Oh, sisters, let's go down Down in the river to pray As I went down in the river to pray Studying about that good crown. Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that robe and crown. Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down. Don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down. Down in the river to pray. As I went down in the
6: The joyful tidings He that was hidden From mortal lies Is come His all-conquering sovereignty Is manifest His all in splendor is revealed Hasten forth and circumambulate the city of God that hath day. From mortal eyes is come.
0: This is WXOJLP Northampton, one oh three point three FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.